Wow. Wow. This place is haunted. Do you hear all that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm alone. I don't know about you. Do you ever, let me ask you something, Dave. Yeah. Do you ever get this sensation where you're working on like a routine task that you've done a million times before? But it's it's something like like you get ahead of yourself and suddenly you you suddenly you don't remember how to do this thing that you've done all the time. Oh yeah, yeah, you can't think about it yeah. too much. That happened to me recently. Oh yeah. Right now. <laughs> oh. Oh, welcome back to It's Too Late, guys. I am your host, Alan Mosley, <laughs> joined as always by the number one producer in late night. It's Dave Wolomowski. Dave, how are you doing? Doing great. I'm gonna. Oh, that's I'm, yeah. You've been waiting I'm all day for this up. moment. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fired up. I'm gonna put in some effort today. We're gonna have a good show. It's gonna be fun. See, you you say that like it's a good thing, but I feel like you're getting out of your comfort zone, and mm. yeah, then you and don't who know knows what's what gonna happen. happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's it? I, like like we have a whole monologue prepared, and I feel like we've already submarined it. Like, wasn't today Groundhog Day? Oh, I forgot about that. Like, yeah. what? So, so what happened? What, what, what did the little rat POSC? I, I saw a post somewhere: six more weeks of winter. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. The the chat can tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Yeah. Somebody, somebody, let us know what what the little dude saw. Did you know? <laughs> did you know that our former producer Blake is getting groundhogs? I think we talked about that. He wants he wants to start a groundhog day in Columbia, yeah. Tennessee, so he's going to get some groundhogs. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds exciting. This this could all be yours, Dave. It's all <laughs> it's like looking into the future. Yeah. Uh, um, I can wait. So anyway, there was there was a story in the news that I thought was kind of interesting that I wanted to talk about. So as you guys know, I was at one time Big fan of this show called Game of Thrones. Not anymore, of course, because good God. So anyway, um, <laughs> there's this character in the show named Tyrion Lannister. And Tyrion, both in the books and in the show, is 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 a dwarf. Yeah. Um, I think is like, can we say that? Is that still is that a word we can say now again? Can we say dwarf now? Yeah, I think I think that's the one they use. Like for a long time, people were like, "No, they like little people." And then the little people said, "Don't call us little people." And so, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. So, so anyway, uh, so anyway, it's dwarf, and uh, and it was played by this actor named Peter Dinklage. Do we have a pic picture of Peter Dinklage? Yeah, I got that. Yeah, there he is, uh, in full regalia for mm. a bar mitzvah or something. I don't know. Mm. So. So anyway, the reason why he came up in the news is because Disney was going to make a new like live action uh Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Ooh. And so that would you would just naturally assume then that, that means they're going to go hire Seven Dwarfs, right? To be like because let's let's be honest with ourselves here. Most roles for like leading men that are going to people like Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, they're not they're not taking auditions from dwarves like let's 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 be straight not um, a lot of opportunities yeah and so peter dinklish makes all these waves because he says how dare you how offensive is this that you that you tell the story about these seven dwarves who just live together in this in this freakish cave orgy you know they're they're oh. unkempt miners that live in a hole in the ground like hobbits let's that's like i thought we were past this as a society and then disney <laughs> said oh my God, I didn't realize that's awful. Well, we'll scrap yeah. the whole project then. We just won't have we just won't do it at all. No, no seven dwarves. Wow. But I want you to take a look at this article right here. So this is this is an article that was in the Daily Mail that is from a whole group of dwarf actors who said, wait, wait, hold, hold a second. I, I thought I thought there was an audition for dwarves, and I'm a dwarf, and now you're saying there's not an audition? <laughs> So, so I, I want you to read some. A uh, I want to read a couple of things that this guy said. So, so primarily coming from the actor named uh, Dylan Possle, uh, who said, "quote It makes me sick to my stomach to think that there are seven roles for dwarfs that can't get normal acting roles, or very few and far in between, 
and now they're gone because of this guy. <laughs> Peter Dinklage is the biggest war factor. <laughs> I'm sorry. That wasn't supposed to <laughs> That they didn't write that as a joke. I just laughed. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. He's the biggest dwarf actor probably of all time, but it doesn't make him King Dwarf. Dylan said. He goes on. When he was cast as a little person role in Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or an elf or this or that or the other, those checks cashed just fine. He had no issue then, but now he wants to be a progressive. Ooh. I think it's safe to say all is not well in Munchkinland. Well, no, 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 Dave. No, the laugh track doesn't work when you've already said "wow" and distanced yourself from the program. <laughs> I saw what you did there. It's not me; it's the audience. They're all right, terrible. All right. So anyway, uh, speaking of speaking of other things in the news, remember that remember that tyrant POS governor out of California named Gavin Newsom. Oh, I heard of that dude. He's the perfect example of the guy who believes rules for thee, not for me. Because he has all these just oppressive draconian lockdowns and mandates in the state of California. And yet, none of those rules seem to apply to him. I want you to take a look at this picture right here. Uh, so this is Gavin Newsom uh, at last week's NFC Championship game between oh. the LA Rams and San Francisco 49ers. And you'll notice... Even though in SoFi Stadium there, uh, the rules were you had to you had to have your pass and you had to have your mask. Do you do you see Gavin Newsom wearing a mask right there? No, I don't. Now this is particularly bad for him because if you saw that picture, now not only was he not wearing a mask, but I'm pretty sure now he has AIDS. Oh, I don't. I don't think there's like a six foot rule for that, or a five second rule, perhaps. No. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Boy, I felt like we were doing good now. That, that needle's starting to lean into the red. Yeah, yeah. Here, here in a moment, our live <laughs> chat is going to start telling us if we're being personable or problematic. I mean, I feel I feel like all things being all things being equal, we're doing all right. Um, yeah. Last but not least, you seen all this stuff about the the Canadian truckers. Have you seen all that crap in the news? Like, yeah, like it's, it's news, but... like a ridiculous amount of truck, like something like like a hundred thousand or more trucks and like a million people have have taken to the streets in Ottawa and just just honking their way to making the government's life a living hell. And they're saying <laughs> that they're not going to leave until Trudeau shows up and the mandates are down. And then Trudeau comes out and he says he doesn't feel that he has to meet with these plebs. And he inferred mm -hmm. that they were Nazis. He inferred that they were anti-science and that they were a fringe minority. Now, this is really rich coming from a guy named Justin Trudeau. Do we, do we have a picture of Justin Trudeau? Yeah, let me find that. There it is. Oh, Dave, come it's, on It's now. an older, it's a little dated. That's not Justin Trudeau. Let's oh. see Justin Trudeau. Come on. Okay, I got a real one here. Yeah, that's him right there. Yeah. You know what? I mean, maybe the first picture was better. <laughs> to be honest with you. Depends on what crowd you're running with. He looks so much like his dad, doesn't he? It does. It's a spitting image. Yeah. It is. I, I'm still waiting for somebody in chat to verify whether or not it's more winter or not. They're but but they they've moved on from the from the groundhog bit. Now they're calling oh. it problematic. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, when the government asked for tow trucks to move the big rigs, they responded, all the drivers had COVID Lamau. Really? Did they do that? That's interesting. <laughs> like, like there's, it's interesting that there's like uh, a united front between, you know, big tow truck and, and big semi. <laughs> you know, believe it or not. Before we finish the monologue, I actually was was in a group chat, and there was people in the group chat talking about whether or not the 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 truck drivers are breaking the nap by inconveniencing everyone in and around Ottawa, and like constantly honking their horns and keeping people oh. up at night and all that stuff. And I thought to myself, this is like this is why you guys are locked down in perpetuity because y'all are debating whether or not it's the truck drivers that are the bad guys. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. 
and finally, our, our friend Lyle Duro says, you don't tow a semi without the help of the driver. Well, mm. I mean, if you if you have a semi, you need the help of your lady of the night. Mm. Not, not mm. a driver. Yeah. Knock that down. Or or raise it up. Oh, yeah. yeah. We should have Josh Groban on the show. He could sing that. Ah, yeah. yeah. Isn't that what that song's about? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Wait. I'm think I'm thinking of a different song. Mm. Yeah, like you raise me up. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can't yeah, we can't thinking. do much more of the song than that because then we get dinged. Yeah. Yeah. And no more monetization for you. Yeah. <laughs> all the all the money. I just feel it pouring out of our pockets, Dave. Right Dave, to Groban. Dave, what do you think? What do you think you like? What What are you I, you and I going to do when we like make it big time? Like when this show really takes off and we're like making millions? What What do you think is going to become oh. of you and I? It's going to be bad. It's going right to our heads. We're going to yeah. be abusing the help. I think, like real real jerks off camera. It'll probably be yeah. the same on camera, but which is oh yeah the same. What? So that's all that really matters then. Yeah. Yeah. So you're 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 telling me that the moment the ink is dry, like we're already battering the interns and yeah. Yeah. screaming yeah well i mean that's that's still that's, that's still why i say it's gonna be the same it's gonna oh be the okay same. yeah <laughs> um uh and finally before we wrap up here celeste says a yacht tier list that's what we'll do when we're rich is do a yacht tier list you know did you oh, see yeah. did you see that we got some fan mail and somebody said they loved the tier list and they were waiting for the next one did you see that that's insane yeah like who's that guy and like now I feel bad because because now that guy's upset that we haven't done a tier list in a while, but all the rest of the audience is really happy that we haven't done a tier list in yeah. a while. Yeah, can't please everybody. You can't, can you? Mm-mm. Yeah. Well, Mm-mm. I'm I'm pretty pleased with this monologue. Are you are you pleased with it? Yeah, I think it went well. Like, like I mean, it's, it's like more we of said, a, could be worse. I guess it's more of a duo log, really. If it's us, ah, oh. yeah. Is that a word? Can someone look up duologue really quick? Duologue. Yeah. I said log. Yeah. They they called they called Peter Tinklage the biggest dwarf. <laughs> that was in there. I'm sorry. Okay, guys, we're yeah. gonna be back with the meme of the week and the viewer mail right after this commercial break. Don't go away. So I like I saw that our messenger was just blowing up right when we were like heading into the commercial break, and I was like, "Who's who's trying to get in contact with us so bad when they should be watching the show?" Yeah. And it was actually one of my friends to say that he and his wife have 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 the coof, and oh yeah, rippy, yeah. That, so we're we're down from like seventeen fans to sixteen. Mm. 16 because the wife didn't give a shit about us but but the man did so yeah um speaking of giving a shit guys check this out we have oh. an advertised sponsor it's Tennessee Hot Sauce Company it's Tennessee Hot Sauce it's, they have like a whole bunch of different flavors to choose from you go to their website which is tnhotsauceco.com and check this out i want you to take a look at this they actually have our personable and problematic meter right there on mm-hmm. the bottles so you can see the right sauce for you. So the poblano jalapeno is personable. Mm. Okay. But <laughs> it's sad to say the blood orange ghost, my friends, that's problematic. Yes. Also notice that the the wrapper's still on this one because this guys, <laughs> I've, I've been over this. I see I see the chat saying chug the bottle. You won't do it, pussy. Do it. No, listen. 
the the deal was we get a hundred dollars in donation in one night and I will drink mm-hmm. the blood orange ghost. But we're we're not gonna we're not gonna do this like you have a taste first, Alan. No 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 no. Yeah. I did that with the garlic with the garlic habanero or whatever it was. <laughs> and I've been like I've been coughing up blood ever since, so so anyway, hundred dollars will get you that's TN Hot Sauce Co. Dot com. Yep. Yeah, right there. Like, why is it just a black and white look? Can we not do better than that? I, I don't know. It's probably too late to even worry about it at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm being less personable than I said I would be. I actually, oh, yeah. so the owner of, of Tennessee Hot Sauce Company, his name is Danny, and I actually talked to Danny on the phone earlier this afternoon. Oh. You know what he said? Oh, you know how we've been talking about like having some discounts and some promo codes? Yeah. Listen to this. Danny said okay. that if you go to the website tonight and place an order, he will fulfill it. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Dude, that's... I, I love it when they do that. Yeah, this is one time only. That's tnhotsauceco.com. Hurry. Yeah. Isn't there some, yeah, is there, well, actually, I already told him that, well, you should, like, Dave's really more your guy for watching someone punish themselves with food items on TV. You should have, you can send some to Dave. (laughs) I think we might work that out for you, Dave, actually. Oh, I'm I'm excited about that. I like like hot sauce. Yeah, we're working out something. All right. Uh, Hey, Dave. Yes, Alan. What time is it? It's time for Meme of the Week. Hey, Tone, all I'm saying is, is if I got three vaccines a year for polio and I still got polio, I start asking some questions. He's got a point there. Yeah. Was that any good? I don't, I don't do voices. I mean. It's, it's pretty racist, but accurate. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it again. But this time he's not from New Jersey. He's from Tennessee. Do it again. Okay. Hey, Tone, all I'm saying is, is I got three polio vaccines in a year and I still got polio. I start asking some questions. That's better. Yeah, that was yeah. killed it. Oh, that was weird. Okay. We've alienated whole sections of the country. Yeah. Just knocking off chunks at a time. Yeah. <laughs> but we do have a bonus meme. Check out the bonus meme. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 clown world the only thing that's not accurate about that meme is that they have like the the stereotypical alpha male guy in the truck you know that's not true all truckers have one foot they lost the other one to diabetes it's it's really <laughs> like i mean like be life. real yeah yeah that's life that's what all the people say but we can't we can't do more than a mm. few seconds because yeah you don't I, I thought you had a file that you didn't tell me you were playing there yeah I did do that song in a concert uh, a few years back, actually. And then I, I thought, it. wouldn't it be cool to like share the performance? Um, I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. I could find some other people's performances from the same concert. Weird. But I couldn't, I couldn't find mine. Did Anna Kay delete it or something? I mean... <laughs> I don't know. Like she could just like if she, if she she could just leave. Like you don't have to. <laughs> like, you don't have to stay and make my life like hell. Logical. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. <laughs> I feel like we're dragging our feet a little bit in this segment. Yeah. What? How are we doing? I don't know. I I can't see those numbers from here. Yeah, you tell me. Still, it's nineteen. I think we're hitting twenty right now. Oh okay. Yep. Oh well, we yeah well we've got time. Cool. All right. You want you got you got anything you want to talk about this week yourself? Oh, like, abs- absolutely, absolutely not. No. My I life is so boring. Ex- I got so excited there for a second. It sounded like you were really the first half, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I thought. Like <laughs> Dave is thinking to himself, "Oh, I get to contribute this week," and then he backed out at the last minute. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess we should just answer the viewer mail then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
supposed to be reading this? Yeah. Did, did you catch all that? Yeah, did you get Epic. it? Yeah. I, I, I meant to read it out loud. Oh. And then I, I missed my cue. Yeah. Well, you know how it is. We can't, once once something's run, we can't run it again. Except for when mm -hmm. we did it with the meme literally earlier, this exact same segment. But other than that, you can't do it again. But uh, <laughs> you, better, you better turn off that viewer mail button, though. It's making me nervous because I feel like it's oh. going to trigger. You know what I'm saying? You never uh, know. <clears throat> yeah, Aaron says, Aaron, who's the official Twitch mod of It's Too Late, says, nice copyright neutral space movie. That's what we should call that. <laughs> copyright neutral space movie. All right. Yeah. Uh, Tim Weissong writes, actually, he wrote Dear Alan. This isn't for you, Dave. Oh, that's okay. I'll set it up. All right. Uh, Tim says, Dear Dave, or excuse me, Dear Alan, uh, what skills or knowledge do you wish you had more of? Well, if it's if it's more of, then that means you need to at least have some skill or knowledge now, but you want more of it. Yeah. Don't you wish? Don't you wish it was like the Matrix, where you could just plug in and just be yeah. like, "I want to be a concert pianist," and you just go, and now you are. Yeah. That would God, man. I know kung fu. Yeah, but I wouldn't <laughs> learn kung fu though, because I'm not a fabbit. I'd learn like jujitsu or something like you. Know. <laughs> um. Oh boy, we're gonna be in trouble on Twitch tonight. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Um, I mean, so I'm a musician, and do you remember? Do you remember when we had Kent Nishimura on the show, and he played that whole acoustic arrangement of "It's Too Late"? Do you remember that? Oh yeah, that was amazing. The, the whole time I was watching that, I was thinking to myself, "He's amazing. I hate him." Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. yeah. So your no, answer you're is so is that, annoyingly talented. Yeah, yeah. So I wish I could just be just be better. You know. Mm. All right. You make me want to be a better man. Don't don't fucking start with me, Dave. I'm not. You're not gonna gaslight me to talk about. I don't even remember the. All right. Uh, Eric Eli writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, who else should purge themselves from Spotify if Joe Rogan isn't removed from their platform? Who do you think the next person should be to jump ship?" Oh, I. I should read these questions ahead of time. Um, the Beatles, yeah. I think they should all come together and make a decision on that. So, like, like Ringo, Paul, yeah, and yeah, a couple of corpses should come together and. Well, you gotta have right now over me. See, there you go. Yeah, that's what they're talking about. You think you're so clever, don't you? <laughs> I, nah. I sense a, a another reprimanding in your future. <laughs> I just. You know what you 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 so casually toss that word around. I feel like it's something you have experience with. With the, with being reprimanded. Reprimanded. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. If if you're gonna be dumb, you got to be tough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Aaron says hold a séance for John and George. See. Um. Does a séance like can you communicate with a spirit with a séance if they've actually moved on to the other side, or is that or is that only if they're like stuck here the, the, the rules are kind of hazy like they haven't really tested it all out i don't think yeah <laughs> uh andrew avery writes dear alan and dave does your face light up when you open the fridge depends on what's in there i mean usually nothing really exciting yeah that hasn't been happening to me lately. Did I tell you that I'm back on like the hardcore keto thing? But bacon, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, bacon, but like, you know, and like I love old. bacon, but like I don't eat bacon for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert, and you know, yeah, like you gotta you gotta cleanse your palate sometimes, and bacon <laughs> isn't isn't how you do that. No. Uh, I went I went I went to this burger joint down the street earlier today. And I was like, well, I'll just get the burger, but I won't get the bun, right? Because I'm I'm being one of those fabbits. And so yeah. I go up to, and this is this is this is an old redneck, you know, hole in the wall oh. place. But you know that means they make they make the good stuff, right? Yeah. So I go in there, and I'm like, yeah, can I get to? Because they're so their burgers are called Johnny Burgers. I, I don't worry about it. So I go in there, I was like, yeah, I can get a Johnny Burger, but then you know I don't want the bun. 
and the and the woman behind the desk who's she's you know like she's she like she talks through a hole in her neck and the whole thing and she goes and she goes oh you do you do one of those low carb diets and i'm like yeah yeah i guess so and she's all right and then and then they served me my burger and i had a pleasant time and i left that was a great story I feel like I have some so so let, hold on let me scroll back up so Tim if I could have some more skill or knowledge it would be to be a late night host yeah yeah good at that that yeah I, I strive for that also like instead of being one like be a good one yeah yeah it's, it's too much work oh yeah imagine how surprised I am all right I'm sorry um, <laughs> I'm just still upset about all your Helen Hunt rhetoric. Yeah. <laughs> um, Carl Huber writes, Dear Alan and Dave, If an electric train is eastbound at 40 miles per hour and the wind is out of the north at 20 miles per hour, which way is the smoke going? Why is the electric train on fire? Yeah, you got it. It should probably just stop. Sounds like Take a... Take care of that. Elon... Maybe it's like those ones that you used to have, like when you're a kid, and you could actually put a little oil in it, so mm -hmm. that it, so it's it's a simulated smoke. So now we have to figure out the problem. Mm -hmm. Was it Southwest? Southwest? Yeah, boy. In the okay. first first three minutes of the show, I thought we were ha we had something going. Mm -hmm. First three minutes of the show is in the first episode of It's Too Late. Not not tonight. Not tonight. No, no yeah. not tonight. No. Yeah. No. 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 My goodness. No. Um. Uh, Celeste Annis writes, dear, dear Alan and Dave, what is your favorite barbecue side? Oh, so, so your sides at a barbecue, what's your yeah. favorite side at the barbecue, Dave? That's a, that's a tough one. It depends on, on who made it and how, how well it's done. Like I like a good Mac and cheese, not like the craft, but like, you know, with the, the skin on top. Mm -hmm. But if, if you don't have that, then. Like we usually have coleslaw. That's usually my favorite. I'll go with that. Does banana pudding count? Yeah, a little obscure for a. No, I mean no. You, like like every barbecue place I've ever been to has banana pudding on the menu. But I know that you might be thinking that's more of a dessert than a side. But if you if you yeah, simply you... eat a plate of banana pudding with a couple of pieces of barbecue, then I think that qualifies as a side, yeah, right? That... Yeah, it's on the side. Okay. Well, okay, so so the author of the question, Celeste, is actually in the audience, and she says absolutely. Yep. So that, okay, absolutely. well, there you go. All right. Um, oh, my God, we didn't talk about the live show again. Oh. God, this is your fault. Remember when I specifically yeah. said, Dave, that you I have to... You, I, was, I was running out of room on, <laughs> on the note. We it, don't even, it is my fault. We don't even have the thing in this scene. All right, guys. There's no, there's don't. gonna be a show in a few months. Just show up. All right, whatever. Yeah. Um, Get your tickets now. Yeah, yeah. You have to have tickets. Don't just go sh showing up trying to peddle your heroin out of your trunk. You got to pay for mm -hmm. like booth space. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Lyle Durio writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, oh, we're in trouble. We needed to be in the next scene here in a minute, so we better just keep going." Uh, Lyle Durio writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, how much water can I put in my gas tank to save money on gas?" I don't, I don't think you can put very much. I mean, if your only goal is to not spend money on gas, then just fill it up. Oh, yeah. Fill it yeah, up. You save a lot. Yeah, take the electric train. <laughs> <laughs> fill it up. Yeah. Um, like yeah. It's we're going to have to start logic. putting... We're going to have to start putting disclaimers on our answers, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, the bigger this show gets, the more we're going to have yeah. some legal snafus, you know what I'm saying? All right. Well, Alan said. <laughs> no, you know what? If that's the start of your sentence, just, uh, all right, Dave, you're the producer. If anyone starts, you've got, you see the chat right there? If anyone yeah. starts their sentence with, well, Alan said, just go ahead and hit block. Just, mm -hmm. just nip that right in the bud. All right. Uh, Ryan, P Ryan Seifert writes, Dear Alan and Dave, are pizza rolls just very small calzones? Calzones don't usually have sauce, do they? I thought they did. 
because that's what I always hated about them. Like they give you a side of sauce to dip it in. Oh yeah, that's right. They do. And you hate that? You hate it. No, because my my biggest my biggest uh gripe with with pizza is nobody wants to put sauce on it. It's like it's always just cheese and then like maybe red coloring, but no sauce. Furiates me. Where are you eating pizza? You know, Papa John's, um, <laughs> Pizza Hut. I just, I just had one of those existential, like miniature crisis <laughs> of. On the one hand, I was gonna make fun of you for eating Papa John's, and then I remembered Anna Kay's favorite pizza is Papa John's, and I thought, you know what, oh Dave, that's a great restaurant, and we should, we should go. All right. And I totally wasn't being facetious. <clears throat> Y'all don't have like a little hole in the wall pizza place where you can go get your no, pizza and they they talk out of the hole in their throat and they they give you the nothing. sauce. Well, yeah, and... oh yeah, we do that. Yum yums, they're like that. But my favorite's there's a little one. It's it has a little Italian restaurant on it, and the, but mostly they sell pizza, mm-hmm. and that's like that's the good stuff. They'll give you some sauce, and it's good sauce. Yeah. Uh oh, pizza tier list. That's what we're doing next week. Pizza tier list. My kid brought that up, and I'm, I was like, but all the best pizza is always something local that we can't. I know, but people are people are gonna understand. Like, okay, so okay, so again, quick, quick, quick producer's note: we're only mm. gonna do like mainstream chain pizzas. And if That's anyone in chat yeah. says my pizza place down the street is just block, yeah. move on. All right. Uh, Aaron writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, does, or, no, excuse me, I'm, I got ahead of myself. Dear Dave, oh yeah." This one's for me. Does the social contract exist? If so, should it have an expiration date? If not, why do so many people use it as a reason for authority? Um, first off, I didn't sign shit. Uh, any good contract has an exit clause. And because um, they're, they're a bunch of authoritarian assholes. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. <laughs> I, I see you're still really bitter about the Alan Mosley TV contract <laughs> that you signed. <laughs> Right. Any good contract has an exit clause, guys. Remember that when you're signing right. anything. Um, <laughs> Carl Huber writes, Dear Alan and Dave, when you clean out a vacuum cleaner, do you become a vacuum cleaner? Can we stop having so many boomer memes in my private group? <laughs> like, I don't, like, I have it. I have the group settings set to all of you goons can post whatever you want, but please, like, only three boomer memes a week. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and finally, Marilyn Wilamowski writes, Dear okay. Alan and Dave. Uh-oh. Do you speak any languages besides English? Dave, do you mm-hmm. speak any languages besides English? I, I speak words besides English, but not I don't I don't really speak language. I've been doing that Duolingo Spanish for like almost a year. Oh but I still can't. I still can't really speak it. I can read some of it. I can kind of understand some speech, but it's complicated. How, how, uh, what, what language have you been doing? Spanish. Oh, okay. Just kind of trying to be a better person. You know, that we were talking about earlier. Wait, so, so, so better people speak Spanish. Is that what you're trying to say? No, but to be more well-rounded in case I have to, I'm in manufacturing. So if I need, if I (laughs) don't. I want to get another manufacturing job. I better not spend. Oh man! <laughs> you know what? Since since Dave has t- decided to carry on the torch of being radioactive on the program, I'm just going to let all that slide and not comment on it. Uh, so Mary said, "Do you speak any languages besides English?" It's funny that you should bring that up, Mary, because I don't. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's enlightening. The, you know, I'll tell you the main reason why I don't is that I didn't take, like, you know how most people when they're in school, they'll take, like, Spanish or maybe they'll take French, you know? Yeah, that thing was required, wasn't it? Yeah. I took Latin. Oh, that's why you don't. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I actually got dumber for two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Accidentally summoned a demon. That yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I mean, I feel like I could communicate with Christ better, though. That's important. <laughs> All right. No, 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 no. We're out of time. We're not. No, no, we're done with that. Uh, guys, we're going to be back with our guest this evening, who is Carrie McDonald, uh, policy uh, education policy writer for the Foundation of Economic Education. Right after this commercial break. Away.
be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv. Back to the show, our guest this evening, making her second appearance on It's Too Late, is an education policy writer, senior education fellow at the Foundation for Economic Education, and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Her latest book, which you can see right here, is titled A is for Abundance, the ABCs of Capitalism. It's available now. We'll leave a link up below in the show notes. Uh, Karen McDonald, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's great to be back with you, Alan. Thanks for having me. Well, we'll start right off the bat with your latest book. A is for Abundance, the ABCs of Capitalism. Now, what's the target audience of this book? So the target audience really are, I think, young people ages maybe four to eight, four to nine, um, reading with their parents or parents reading to them to celebrate um, this beautiful, elegant process of voluntary exchange in free markets. Uh, and, you know, I can tell you that my inspiration for this actually came several years ago, um, well before COVID-19 shut down uh, libraries. And I was in our local public library here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I live. And I saw the book A is for Activist. Uh, and so I picked it up. And, uh, you know, there were certainly some things in there that were, you know, very much in line with a free society in terms of tolerance and uh, and respect for others and individual rights. But there was a lot in there that was really um, aimed at creating, you know, progressive activists. It was definitely kind of a leftist agenda, collectivist undertones, Marxist undertones, anti-capitalism, um, and which is, is all fine and good, right? I'm, I'm all for a marketplace of ideas. But the reality is that there isn't that much um, on the kind of the other side, offering other perspectives that celebrate, uh, you know, free market capitalism, that celebrate um, this process of voluntary exchange. And I really felt like we needed to, you know, have those resources for families uh, that wanted that. And even if it doesn't make its way into the Cambridge Public Library, at least it makes it into home libraries for families, you know, who want to share a different perspective. Now that's that's very interesting timing. I know we were talking right before we started the show that it's it's been about a year since since you and I last chatted. Um, and I think if you had asked us perhaps a year ago, oh well, all of this will have blown over and we'll have moved on to kind of a different era in our nation's history. Um, I would have I would have believed that. Surely this can't go on for much longer. And yet here we are. And and I and I don't want to sell it short. I think there's some places in the country that have that have improved since we last talked. But you know, there's other parts of the country and, and other parts of the establishment that that certainly haven't improved. Um, but education is one that's that's very uh, a, a passionate topic for me, um, and and as it relates to your latest book, um, I know when we last talked, we talked about how parents, by and large, are, are getting a little bit of an education themselves on exactly what their children are learning, exactly what the day to day life in the public school system was, and I feel like before parents may have thought, I'm not equipped to take this over myself. But then when thrust into a situation where in, in, for perhaps for some people that wasn't an option anymore, I feel like some of them more came around to the idea of, well, maybe I can do this after all. Is, is, is a lot of your writing and, and some of your books specifically geared towards helping parents realize that this is not an insurmountable task? Yeah, you know, I think when we last spoke, Alan, um, was right around the time that the Census Bureau released their data, finding that the rate of homeschooling had doubled in 2020 alone uh, to now more than 11% of the U.S. K-12 school age population, more than 5 million students. A lot of that triggered by parents who were disillusioned with school shutdowns and what they were seeing through their district Zoom school. Uh, they had that kind of firsthand look. 
And they were able to realize that there were lots of different alternatives to school that they may not have, you know, otherwise imagined. They created pandemic pods or these uh, micro school communities. They realized that there were high quality online learning programs that were not anything like their district Zoom school that they could tap into to help uh, help their children learn. And so I think it's really, you know, been a huge game changer in terms of the uh, momentum for education transformation. So you have, you know, parent demand, you have entrepreneurs stepping up to meet that demand by creating new learning models and, and introducing, uh, you know, new education options for parents. And then you have state legislatures um, also stepping up to introduce or expand school choice legislation. Last year, more than two dozen states uh, introduced or expanded school choice legislation that allows uh, education funding to follow families instead of going to these bureaucratic school systems. And right now, um, support for school choice is at record high. We have three quarters, uh, roughly three quarters of Americans saying that they support education dollars following students instead of systems. Uh, so all of those things, parental demand, education entrepreneurship, and some uh, much needed policy changes, I think are really combining to, um, to create more education options for families. Now, that, that's something that we talked about before too on the show is uh, the sort of the connection of capitalism and education and specifically that big E word that you mentioned, entrepreneurship. Uh, I think a lot of people would agree mm. that that just really the concept of entrepreneurship is something that the the mainstream education establishment severely lacks. Um, I I, th I think it's pretty fair to say that the overwhelming majority of students that go through public K through 12 education don't come out the other side, particularly equipped in a lot of areas, but they definitely don't come out. Um, being educated with that entrepreneurial spirit that that one can do it for oneself. I, I, I feel like it's safe to say that most people are sort of put into the pipeline of, you know, become obedient workers, go to college, get it, get it, you know, take on some student loans, get a college education. And then from there, there will be some sort of job waiting for you. But really, the whole idea of a job waiting for you is counter to to entrepreneurship of, of creating creating a business and then creating jobs both for yourself and for others so so is is that is that the niche is is that where people like us really can can carve out a place in education is is really focusing on entrepreneurship yeah i mean i think free markets will save us right you know one thing i've been reflecting on a lot lately is that if we look back on the past couple of years where our individual liberty uh, has been compromised, where there's this dramatic overreach of government focused on coercion, and where free markets um, have, in many cases, been severely weakened, particularly uh, in the early days of the government response to the coronavirus, where businesses were shut down and told whether or not they were essential, and even continuing now with uh, governments telling businesses whether or not they have to um, show have customers show vaccine passports or wear masks and so on. So there's this tremendous uh, government interference in the free market in individual lives and livelihoods. But I think that the um, that the response to that or the antidote to that is really again entrepreneurship and free markets. One of the bright spots uh, over the past couple of years is we've seen entrepreneurship um, skyrocketing. Uh, there was just, for example, an article, a report this month or last month, January, in uh, the Brookings, from the Brookings Institution showing that micro businesses, particularly online micro businesses, were soaring uh, in 2020 and have continued to experience rapid growth. So a lot of kind of the disruption caused by the government's response to the pandemic, um, triggering individuals to become entrepreneurs. And we've seen this particularly in education. Uh, you have a lot of educators who experienced the same shutdowns that their students did in the spring of 2020. And then as uh, throughout the summer and fall of 2020, parents were looking for alternatives. You had 
teachers that realized that they could leave their district teaching job and become tutors or open these pods, these micro schools uh, in their homes or traveling to different families' homes and earn more money with more flexibility and more freedom uh, than they could when they were working in a district school. And that's only accelerated, especially where you see record rates of teacher burnout across the country, Um, teachers deciding they don't want any more part of this, especially with ongoing COVID restrictions in many schools and classrooms, they want something else. And rather than leaving the teaching profession entirely, because they, in many cases, love teaching and love uh, being educators, they're instead launching these micro schools. They're uh, creating new learning models. I just spoke, for example, today with a a math teacher who also uh, does some student teaching advising at the college level. Um, and she is she launched a five day a week learning center for homeschoolers uh, where you know families can either enroll their kids all week as a true schooling alternative or families can kind of pop in on a part time basis and allow their children uh, to participate in various academic and extracurricular uh, activities. So, you know, I think that it, there's just such a, a great momentum right now. I think it's a great time to be an entrepreneur and in particular, a great time to be an education entrepreneur. Well, so there is, therein is the rub and, and something that we've talked about before in the past is teachers unions. And the last time you were on, we talked about how teachers unions, perhaps they've overplayed their hand just slightly during the the, the COVID era and that they have unwittingly uh, pushed so many families uh, to to these exploding numbers of of homeschooling uh, families and whatnot, um, and and really that situation hasn't really improved for teachers unions since the last time we talked. You still have to this if there if there's not yeah. teachers unions today uh, explicitly trying to keep schools shut down, which there still are some. At the very least, there's teachers unions uh, vigorously fighting. Uh, school choice legislation nationwide. The the concept of the education dollars uh, following the students as opposed to belonging to to the educational establishment. That's something our friend Cora DeAngelis talks about quite frequently on Twitter. Um, is do you do you see that continuing yeah. to be sort of the main disconnect, not just between the educational established and families, but perhaps teachers unions and some individual educators who are looking at the writing on the wall and thinking to themselves, I can do better than this. I don't I don't need a forty thousand dollar a year job with benefits when I can go teach a six figure job uh, doing it myself, because if I happen to live someplace where five, 10, 15 families have those education dollars to spend, I can do it myself. It's, it's sort of a sort of a revival of the old school uh, or the uh, old school, the, the classic kind of schoolhouse model of you have one or a, a relatively few number of individual educators, uh, educators in a pod and they do everything. Is that is is are we seeing a revival of that now? Right. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll address your first point and then talk a little bit more about these micro schools and learning pods um, that are really uh, abundant now across the country. But in terms of the teachers unions, you know, I think this has really been a, an awakening for parents over the past couple of years where they not only got a close up look at what was happening in their kids' schools and, and classrooms through Zoom school, but they also realized just how powerful Uh, teachers unions are and how political teachers unions are. Uh, And so, you know, when we talked before, I shared data coming out of um, Brown University, as well as research, you mentioned Corey DeAngelis, he's done some excellent research on this, finding that it was teacher union influence more than any other factor that led schools to remain shut down. Uh, particularly in 2020, uh, and where teachers unions were less powerful, less influential, uh, schools were more likely to reopen. And this had nothing to do with virus rates or community transmission. It was all to do with politics and power resonating from the teachers unions. And now we've seen just this year, just in January of this year, the same dynamics at play where um, thousands, I think at the peak, was over 4,500 schools shut down in the early part of January coming off of the Christmas break uh, as teacher unions again forced schools to be closed uh, and not 
to reopen for quite some time for in-person learning. This was particularly true in Chicago, which fought the most vigorously to keep schools closed. Uh, and I think parents are just fed up. So they are looking for these alternatives. And again, these entrepreneurs are there to step in, many of whom are former public school teachers uh, who want to get back to doing what they love, which is teaching uh, and helping students learn. And that's where we're, again, seeing this growth uh, in these micro schools, in these learning pods. You're absolutely right that these are uh, sort of modern twists on the one-room schoolhouse. Micro school networks were gaining traction uh, prior to 2020. I wrote uh, originally about one of the fastest-growing um, uh, Microschool Networks is Prenda Learning out of Arizona. They have really taken off uh, throughout the past couple of years, but they were also you know, meeting a lot of success prior to that. Recently at Forbes, I wrote about Acton Academy and that expanding network. They're seeing tremendous growth. Uh, and these are all working on this kind of one-room one room schoolhouse, multi-age, multidisciplinary um model that is typically home-based or is located in, in a small community space with one or more hired teachers uh, that facilitates the curriculum. And, and, and I think that that is really resonating with more families now, that they want more uh, freedom and flexibility in their own lives, in their own work. Uh, and they also want to then grant that to their children as well. Now, I know that... Um... Our, our socio-political opponents, they, they tend to trot out uh, some of the ugliest attacks on initiatives like this. Um, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the softball to, the softball to sort of swat some of these down. Uh, so, some of the most common uh, attacks you see on school choice, on independent learning, um, is that it is somehow... Uh, it's somehow only for the privileged. Only only the rich can afford such things, but you know, middle and lower income families are locked out of these types of things. Uh, and and perhaps much uglier is, of course, these there there's some sort of underlying racism involved uh, with these sorts of things. You've seen you've seen the attacks from some of the corporate press that says, oh, well, when when the parents show up to the school board meeting because they're concerned about how their kids are being treated and what they're being taught and 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 if they can go into uh, in-person learning at all, that that's somehow some sort of uh, white supremacist undertone to these, to these types of conversations. Um, I, I, I obviously don't believe that. Uh, I think if anything, this, the reason why this is a really uh, an area of optimism is because there's a lot of things that people will put up with, but I think that when you when you're dealing with people's children, that's where a lot of people are going to put their foot down. Um, but with that, but with that said, yeah, is, yeah, what do you say to these types of attacks? Well, I think the the first thing to say is, you know, upper income people have always had school choice. In fact, many of our politicians exercise school choice. And even though they vigorously oppose school choice policies that uh, decentralize education funding and allow parents much more autonomy to decide where to send those, send their children and use those tax dollars, uh, those politicians are sending their kids to private schools. And I think that that's starting to become clearer to parents now that the hypocrisy is so thick uh, and, and so irrational. So I think that that's why we're seeing such tremendous support for school choice policies. Uh, and then in terms of education entrepreneurship, you know, one of my most recent articles in my Forbes column highlights the incredible work of Denisha Merriweather, who's the founder of Black Minds Matter, which is an incredible advocacy group for school choice, particularly focusing on, um, on entrepreneurs of color, educators who are creating private schools to serve, in particular, students of color, many of whom are low income or have special needs, uh, and realizing that they're having a lot of success in doing that and could have even greater success uh, if we were able to redistribute that current taxpayer money that's tied up in dist assigned district schools and enable families to really decide where they want that money to go.
Well, it's it's interesting that you brought up specifically private schools because I, I know that there's people out there that will say, but are private schools really that much better than the traditional public school? Because so many private schools uh, sort of, in, depending on where they are and, and, and how they operate, they still fall under a lot of the same guises that the public education system does. There's certain, certain types of, of regulatory concerns and that sort of thing versus just a purely homeschooled uh, model. Is, is that something that's still a major concern, or are you starting to see more and better genuine private school options? Well, you know, here's the thing. If a private school isn't performing well, if parents are dissatisfied, they pull their kids from that school, that funding goes away, and that school either has to turn around and do things differently or shut down. That doesn't happen in government-run schools, right? If a government-run school is failing and parents aren't happy, um, often the opposite happens and they get more funding. Uh, so there's just, the, there, as, as in all aspects of the free market, there is accountability through consumers, through customers who drive um, the demand in the marketplace and really prompt providers of goods and services to shift, to meet that demand. Uh, and so, you know, I think that, that that's where we have to really focus our attention and energy, that the private sector typically can meet demand um, more successfully and more efficiently than the coercive sector, than the government sector. Uh, and, you know, I think more and more families are realizing just how inept the government is, particularly with their response to the pandemic over the past couple of years. I want to I want to switch gears here a little bit and talk about um, where we're seeing the biggest changes and biggest uh, movement in education in different different sectors, uh, different demographics, different parts of the country. So before the show started, you you talked a little bit about the differences between Boston. Uh, versus where you are in Cambridge, and that there's maybe a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for you. Uh, and I talked a little bit about the differences between, for instance, Nashville, and then just a half hour drive further south, you get into a more rural area where people have no idea what you're talking about when you mention masks and mandates. What what sort of people and what parts of the country are we seeing the biggest shifts in education? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I was saying that, you know, Boston, for example, has its vaccine mandate like other major cities. But here I am right on the periphery in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and surprisingly, Cambridge and the other surrounding cities uh, have um, rejected vaccine mandates, although we still have mask mandates and other um, COVID policies. So, uh, you know, there could be some shifting. And then the further out that you go from the city center, um, you know, the more uh, I think people are repelled by government interference and are um, ready to kind of move on from the government response to COVID. So that's a hopeful sign. Um, you know, and I think, again, that's where we're going to see a lot of different uh, options come through education, right? There will be some for example, some learning centers, some private schools that will require masks, that will require COVID vaccines for students, and there will be some that won't. And let the marketplace decide, um, you know, which which prevail. Maybe they both will. Maybe there'll be enough demand for both. And I and I think that's really where we have to move toward is to get the government out of. Uh, the business of education and allow uh, people to decide, customers to decide where they want to put their money and which uh, programs and services they want to support. Now, on that note, I'm I'm going to bring up maybe what's perhaps a little bit of a controversial topic for some people listening in the audience. Now, I know that you're a true believer in the market, and I am as well. But being a true believer in the market, I believe, and I, and I don't want to speak for you. I'll let you clarify. I think being a true believer in the market means that while you're against lockdowns and mandates. I think you might also be against uh, governors and state legislatures banning, just outright banning certain activities because you would rather let the individual in, individual institutions decide for themselves, which they're, then therefore puts the onus on the customers, or in this case, the parents and their families, to decide where they want their kids to go. Am I correct in saying that? That's right. So one of my most recent articles at fee.org uh, addressed Governor Glenn Youngkin and Virginia's new mask executive order. And when he came into office earlier this year, uh, he reversed some of the COVID mandates that were imposed by his predecessor. And in particular, 
he revoked the mask mandate uh, for schools in Virginia. And I cheered at that. I said, this is wonderful. But then as I dug deeper into his executive order, I realized that it applied to private schools in addition to government schools. And that is really where there is this overreach, right? And we can, even though we appreciate the policy, even though we're supporting uh, the idea of giving parents the, the choice of whether or not to mask their kids and, and get the government out of it, Go, uh, Governor Youngkin's executive order goes too far by telling the private sector what they can and can't do, right? There are probably private schools where many of the families, most of the families want their kids masked, and they should be able to respond to that customer demand uh, without a governor's executive order getting in the way. And I think that that's the really tricky part, because we are so frustrated uh, with government overreach over the past couple of years that it's easy to applaud a politician when they go our way. But we have to kind of, I think, stay focused on the principles here. And that is that the government never should have been involved in the private sector. And it still should not be involved in the private sector at this point. Well, I, I, I want to play devil's advocate for just a moment on that one before we wrap up. I think that there's a lot of people out there that would say, well, in principle, I agree with what you're saying, but I have a hard time sticking to my guns on that because it seems like we've lived through an era, especially in the last couple of years, where, where people that I feel don't have my best interest at heart, don't have my children's best interest at heart, have, have caused a lot of harm. I mean, let's call it what it is. They've caused a lot of harm, not just uh, socially and, and economically, but, but psychologically to a lot of young people that, that harm has been caused. And so, I, and so I feel like a lot of people that in principle might agree with what you're saying can't help but cheer on some of these, uh, some of this backlash, if you will, because they're thinking to themselves, well, we, you know, the, the powers that be, you know, our opponents will use that power against us. So why should I not then in turn use that power against them? Hey, I'm sympathetic to it, right? Uh, you know, I, I appreciate Governor Yunkin in particular getting rid of his mask mandate. But the problem is that we can't fight government power with more government power uh, because then it's just the pendulum swinging uh, every time there's an election. What we do, what we need to do is reduce uh, the power of government over our lives and our livelihoods. And the way we do that is to get government out of the free market and allow individual businesses and schools and shops to decide uh, what their policies are and let the market work it out. Well, on that note, Carrie, where can people go to support you and read more of your material? Yeah, the best place to find me is at fee, fee.org slash Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y. There you'll see a link to my latest articles. You'll see my links to my social media account. You can go ahead and send me an email. Harry, I want to tell you that I think Fee has published three or four of my articles, so I'm practically on your heels. I'm I'm right I'm right there in the running, but we're, Carrie, we're gonna get you we're gonna get you out of here on this Great. one. If you have two lasagnas and you stack one lasagna on top of the other, is it still two lasagnas or is it now just a single lasagna? I think it's a double layer lasagna. But if it's a double layer lasagna, does that mean it's a single item? I think my oldest, my 15-year-old is a baker. She makes a lot of cakes. And I think she would say that a double layer cake is one cake. So I'm going to go with a double layer lasagna is one lasagna. Good job, Carrie. That is the correct answer. <laughs> I knew that you were a real libertarian because only a real libertarian would get that answer right. Carrie McDonald, thank you so much for being on the show again, even though I ask ridiculous questions. Always a pleasure, Alan. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, we're going to be back to wrap up the show right after this commercial break. Don't go away. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Alan Mosley. Like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Alan Mosley TV. You can follow me on Twitter. It's twitter.com at Alan Mosley TV. Subscribe to our YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash Alan Mosley TV. 
Also, we're now on Odyssey. You can go find us on odyssey.com. It's too late with Alan Mosley or Alan Mosley TV. If you're more of a listener than a watcher, get us on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. Thanks to Anchor FM. It's anchor.fm slash Alan Mosley TV. I forgot to open my fortune cookie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They've been late. they've been very topical the last couple of weeks. They have. You yeah. you have an amazing Chinese place. Yeah. Uh I feel like this is a threat. <laughs> it says one day you will hold a piece of paper money for the last time and not even realize it. Oh, I heard this one. Yeah. Somebody had that. I saw that in one of my one of my groups. Propaganda, that's what it is. Don't want that. Bastards. Yeah. <laughs> um Dave, do you have a final thought? I don't know. I, I had a lot of fun tonight, as usual. Um, I think that was a great conversation. I'm really interested in education, my kids and stuff like that. So Yeah. I'd like to see it move in the right direction of a free market type system. So that was good. Yeah. Uh, Ryan says Alan's fortune cookies are rigged harder than the last election. You saw me just open the cookie. <laughs> like, look, 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 look. It's, it, it. You gonna eat that? No, you don't eat the fortune cookie. Who does that? Are you kidding? That's if eating the fortune cookie is like getting the coins out of the wishing well. You know what I'm saying? Like that's <laughs> that's a quick way to you'll get tuberculosis. I think. Yep. Just for folks at home, Dave has now committed to the end, so he can no longer respond to the dialogue. He's now, he's fully focused on end the program. Yeah, the the, the finger's on the button, and it's like, I'm afraid if I talk, I'm going to get it. Well, I think when we go to the credits, I'm going to, like, tell Twitch to go raid another channel again. So let's, let's, let's do that. Guys, thank you so much. We will see you next week. See? Yeah. It's, Mary just walked down. Twitch was ahead of real time. She already finished the show. That's She's weird. What we're doing here. Yeah. Twitch said we were streaming for like 17 seconds longer than OBS says we were. How is that possible? Someone explain <laughs> it to me. That's amazing latency. We're in the future. We're in the future. We're going to raid this guy playing the original Legend of Zelda. How dope is that? That's good stuff. Yeah. You you checked out like 20 minutes ago, didn't you, Dave? No. I just saw Drax Billion said they interrupted your stream with.